The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. It's my privilege to introduce Mr. Evan Gear. He's one of the seniors chosen by the faculty, uh, as is every year, to bring the word to us in the springtime. Uh, Evan is a man of uh, many experiences and many abilities. He is uh, from that proud state of Virginia, but one of the most humble men I've ever met from that state. He served for some time in the Philippines as a uh, Peace Corps worker, and he's worked as a shoemaker and uh, many other things. He's a, a wonderful barista down at uh, Kettle Coffee. You may visit him down, downtown. But he's a very caring uh, husband, very caring father and friend, and we welcome him to our uh, pulpit this morning. Well, thanks to Dr. Telfer for introducing me. Um, I have to say it's a pleasure and an honor for me to be uh, preaching here, uh, an honor because I, uh, I didn't expect to be one of the guys chosen to stand up here before you guys. So, and a pleasure because I'm used to preaching in this pulpit to like five guys scattered in the, pul- in the pews here. So it's nice to have some female faces and a lot more people to preach to. Um, my text this morning is going to be Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 15 and read into the end. But before we read there, I'd like to pray for us if I might. So pray with me. Oh, our Father, the God of Abraham, Lord, we come to you and give you thanks that we can come to your word and hear your voice, hear us, hear you speak to us. Father, you called light into darkness. And Father, we often in ourselves experience a darkness. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the words that of, of your scriptures here preached this morning would, would uh, shine as light into that darkness when we experience it. Father, I pray that you who are um, dwell in an approachable light and you in whose light we see light would shine your light this morning. Father, for your glory, for our good, and to our strengthening for the service of your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 2, verse 15. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
Here is the reading of God's word. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I skipped two verses just now. And I did it on purpose because I want to make a point about those two verses. Because so often, and I imagine you even experience something of this, when we read those first couple of verses about God commanding the man about the tree, we all think, oh, that's a big, heavy scripture. And we all know that because we're learning about it a lot. That's the very foundation of our covenant of works. And how much ink has been spilt over those two verses at the beginning, 16 and 17. You, you shall not eat of the tree, lest you surely die if you do eat. How often have we ourselves thought, pondered those verses? And so in the midst of these, that, those verses that we so often think of, we find these other two verses that I skipped, and we don't quite notice them for the weight and the authority of that other scripture. And then after that, we read God say something about man not being, not dwelling alone and how it's not good that he's alone. And we think, well, what is he going to do? And then in anticipation of what God's going to do, we read the next two verses that I skipped, but we don't really pay attention to them. And we move on and find that Adam is put to sleep and God does his surgery, takes the rib and creates the woman and presents him to the man. And so we just pass over these two verses. We know about them, we're familiar with them, but why are they there? And I think I have an answer for you this morning. And I think also that the, the answer to that question is one that will be helpful to us where we are in our studies as seminarians and as professors. So that's why I chose this verse this morning. And let me read those verses that I skipped, to, skipped for you. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now, it's interesting, stopping there for a moment, that God, it says God formed the beasts out of the ground. And of course, at that point, if we were reading through and we heard God say that it's not good for man to dwell alone, we would expect God to take that out of the ground and make, him, make a woman for the man. But he doesn't do that right away. Instead, we read, surprisingly, he brings the beasts. And we think, well, didn't he already do that? Well, yes, he did. But God here, wonderfully, is revealed to us as a God who plans ahead of time. And he made the beasts, and he, as a wise master builder, has the beast ready at hand to bring forward for his purposes. Our God is a wise master builder and plans ahead. That's important. And I think the scripture reveals a hint of that just there. God brought the animals. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So why in the world is this verse here? Why are these two verses here? At first blush, when you read across it, you think, oh, well, it's just a little interlude. It's a scene of Eden and the life of Eden and what it was like for Adam before the fall. At God bringing the animals to him, much like we'll read God brings the animals to Noah to go into the ark a little later. The man, the image bearer, called to subdue and have dominion over all creation, called to work and keep the garden, has as his first task, and it's a little strange, naming things. 
But this too, although it may seem strange, is not all that strange if we've been reading through Genesis because we've just heard the God in whose image the man is created naming. The light he calls day, the darkness he calls night, the firmament he calls heaven. Our God is a naming God. And in fact, we like Adam still actually do this. I have two girls and I named them both. And what I name them, it's who they are. And interestingly, God will call them by that name when he calls them. And he'll call us, each of us, each of you, by your name that your parents have given you. So God affirms the name that we call over our children. Amazing. And it doesn't stop there. For I also not only name my kids, I name their world for them. I tell them what things are. I provide for them the basic building blocks, the grammar for them to understand and interact with this world. That's what I do with my kids. And it's the weirdest thing in the world because it really happens. And if you have kids, you probably know it. And they look to you for it. And I do this as one, like Adam, given authority in a particular place, a domain. I have authority in my house over my children. And I, as one with authority, bearing the image of God, who is one with authority, name things. And I bear witness with Adam of my, my imaging God, and we all do that. But what's interesting is not only do fathers do that, but we, as seminary students and seminary professors, are doing this. In the realm of theology, we are naming things. We're categorizing things. We're dividing things and calling things out as they are. And God affirms our task. And we're being prepared to do this task as men and women given authority in the church. We, in this place, so that we can name things for people like, we, like I named them for my children and like Adam named them before God, that we might image God's authority in his church. And of course, we don't do this in a vacuum. There's a long tradition of the naming that's been happening since the beginning of the church. And the names that we pronounce are not new names. We enter into the commission of the church who has been given keys and holds the power to bind and loose on earth. And whatever we bind and loose, God affirms in heaven. Just as he affirms Adam's work here. In verse 19 he says, And whatever the man called every living, every living creature, that was its name. Whatever he called it, that was its name. Now, that's an interesting thing to note in the text, but it doesn't necessarily tell us why it's there still. It still sticks out from the rest of it, and almost you could take it and leave it aside and continue reading like I did. So we're still left with a question, why? Why is it here? And I think there's a, there's a hint at the end of verse 20 where it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, some might see this as a, a smoothing of this block of text as it was stuck in to make it fit with everything else. But I don't think that's the case here, because I think in connection with verse 18, there's something more happening. Let me read verse 18 again. Then the Lord, the Lord God, said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God had before the naming of the animals expressed the will to make for Adam a helpmeet. Now, maybe you might think, well, 
Now he's going to bring the animals before him because God himself is not really sure what's going to be a good help meet. So he's going to have to try some stuff out. So he brings the bear to Adam and he thinks, no, not the bear. That one's not going to be a good help meet. He might claw him up or something or, or the eagle or, or whatever it might be. The dog, oh, we're close, but not quite, right? But of course, that's not true. God, who is able to plan ahead of time and had prepared the beast for a task, he brings them to Adam, not that he might check and see what, what Adam might need and because he doesn't know, but he is doing this not for himself, but for his creature, for Adam. He brings Adam into this process for Adam's sake so that Adam, in the process of naming, might notice something. And I think that's what he wants us to, that God would like us to notice this. And I want you guys to notice this this morning. That as Adam was standing there and God brought the animals to him, he saw a bear, but he also saw a she-bear. He saw a dog, but he also saw a female dog. He also saw a, an eagle and a female eagle. He saw all the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field brought before him. And he noticed as they passed by, that they all had mates, corresponding others, and opposite. And the more he saw it, the more he realized something. Wait a minute. Me? Me and some. And now he's expectant. So God continually brings these animals before him. And you can imagine Adam's waiting for, for somebody at the end of the line, like Santa Claus at a Christmas parade or something, something, a finale. Maybe the woman's coming, that corresponding other. And then you can imagine when the, the naming is ended and the line is over and he's finished his task and God has affirmed him in his task that he feels something is not good. It's not good that I should dwell alone. I want something that I don't have, that the animals have. God, something is not good. And so God, who expresses his desire and says of, crea of his creation in man, not good that this man should be alone, and says, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Before he does that, before jumping to the task and just bringing him to the man, he knits into the man a desire mirroring his own. And it's, not, it's, not impli it's implied in the task of the naming. The naming itself doesn't seem like it's doing that thing, but it is doing that thing. It's knitting into Adam a desire that matches the desire of his creator so that when God fulfills that desire, Adam will be ready and willing to receive it. Now it's important to remember that what we're talking about is Adam before the fall. And we, we live after the fall, which makes it a little confusing. At least it did for me when I was trying to figure this out. So if we live after the fall, will the transition that happens to Adam happen to us in the same way? Because you see Adam move into the transition of receiving his, his help meet seamlessly. No problem. Adam goes to sleep, gets his bride. But we, how do we react when we reach the end of the line of naming things and the desire that, that that pattern of work created in us is left unfulfilled, what do we do? Well, I think you know what we do. We look for something else. We desire it and we often sin 
And how do we sin? Well, we look beyond. We look for some promise of a fuller and better system of naming. And we look outside for something. And often what we realize when we're doing that is there, there are people ready and willing to give us a fuller sense of this desire, a, a promise of its fulfillment. But they, too, can't fulfill it. And it also occurred to me that maybe when this happens, we may think, well, the Holy Spirit is the one who fulfills this desire in us. But the Holy Spirit, remember, as the third person of the Trinity, his work is ever appointing away from himself. It is his very work to create this desire in us. He wants for us to long for that which he is revealing through the naming process. Essentially, when we reach the end of the line, we're tempted and often do, instead of waiting upon God, take action into our own hands. Instead of looking to him to fulfill the desire, we look to our own hands to do the work. Adam goes and gathers fig leaves up. Eve gives birth to Cain and says, at last, with the help of the Lord, I have borne a man-child. Lot's daughters, they go and get extra wine for their father. Sarah goes and finds Hagar and brings her to Abraham. David, David looks out over his kingdom and convinces Joab, Joab of all people, to go out and count the, the, the nation. All of these desires may be like ours in the process of naming things. God willed and good, but even God willed good desires can in our hands and in our sinful natures be corrupted into an occasion for sin. Our desire gives birth to sin. Only here, as we read, Adam doesn't have that happen. He hasn't fallen. And instead of him acting, God acts. In fact, God puts Adam to sleep. Look again at verse 21 and 22. The Lord God it says there, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he, Adam, slept, he took, God took one of his ribs. God closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Notice every verb is God's action. Everyone. God causes a sleep to fall upon the man. God, while the man is sleeping, comes to the man and takes a rib from the man. God builds from the rib a woman. And God brings the woman to the man. And of course, that's precisely the action that he did before all of this. He brought the animals to Adam. So it's possible that Adam even was expecting God to do what he had created desire for Adam in Adam expecting God to fulfill. It's all God. What he first decreed for his creature, he created his creature in his creature desire for it. And then he fulfills the desire. A woman. Bone of his bone. Flesh of his flesh. Here at last, a helper fit for him. The satisfaction of his desire. One built by God with a womb and therefore the ability to bear children. Now Adam, who is called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, can now, with the help of his wife, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He's finally gotten that which 
the naming process knit into him. But is this all that God had in mind with giving him a woman? Does not God see, foresee something more, even as he foresee a need for the animals after creating the animals? And I think you're not going to be surprised that I say yes. Adam is now able to produce something more important than, than his children. He now has a woman that can produce for him a seed, the seed. The seed that will answer an even deeper and greater need than the naming process developed in the man. Not unlike the dark time foreseen and given to Abraham to foresee why Abraham himself was put to sleep like Adam. God foresees a dark time for Adam and as he foresaw the dark time in Abraham, he is even then in that moment preparing for the deliverance that he has planned for him. A certain something for Adam to latch onto and hope. In Adam's case, he receives a woman and a hope in the woman. But in our case, what do we receive? For us who have noticed that desire in us, as we have sat at our desks studying and we sit in our, in, in, our, in our classrooms learning to name and divide and properly understand the, 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 the theology that we are studying. And as we teach, and we reach a point in that process where we realize all of the things that this, this work is pointing to, it is only pointing to it, and it doesn't actually deliver its fullness to us. Because the thing that we're pointing to always is our Lord, Jesus, and he is not with us. His spirit is here, but his spirit is here only cultivating more fully and deeply a desire for him and his coming. And so we long for that. And in our temptation in the midst of that, often we look for something else to fulfill that desire while we wait instead of waiting for him. And maybe we've looked outside of the naming process or quit the naming process altogether. And so, what has God given for us? God, apart from our working, despite our working, has worked for us. He has taken a seed from a woman. The Son of God from Mary has taken flesh, bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh, not an Eve for us, but an us for us, a new Adam. We who have foolishly been looking for answers in ourselves and the own works of our hands, and have been left still wanting, this one who rightly, desi rightly desired the fulfillment of the naming process, he who could name and have the things produce the realities of the naming in the naming process itself, put away those things and took instead the form of a servant and was given by God the punishment that we deserve for our own seeking to fulfill our desires apart from him our own not waiting on God, our own sin in seeking it apart from God. He has laid that upon him for us. He suffered for our impatience, the judgment for our meager and sinful attempts to accomplish and fulfill the need ourselves has been laid upon him. Brothers and sisters, Adam had a hope in a woman. We have hope in the seed of a woman. And the hope one is a lively one. 
and it's full of glory. For it is a hope of a future life. It is the hope of resurrection and a new creation. It is the hope that we will one day be clothed anew and never be ashamed again. It is a sure hope. And why is it sure? It's sure because the seed of the woman has been planted and it's sprouted up. And, the, and that first sheave has been brought in. The first fruits of the harvest. And as surely as that sheave has been brought in, so the rest of the harvest itself too will be brought in. We will be brought in. Surely as Jesus was raised, so shall we be raised. And in that day, He will look upon us. He will look upon us. Jesus will look upon us in our resurrected bodies. And He will say about us, at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. For this reason, I left my home in glory with my Father and came down to earth. For this reason, I suffered death and was buried and was risen again. For this reason, I ascended into heaven and, was, and have been at the right hand of God, even now, continually interceding and desiring for the, my wife to be formed. And now, at last, here she is. This is our hope. These are the, this is the yearning that all of the work that we're doing here is putting in us. And if we look beyond, if we look to these things themselves to produce it for us, they never will. And if we look to the ministry after this to do it for us, brothers and sisters, it will not. It will only further increase the appetite. And God be blessed for increasing the appetite because he makes us want something that's good. And so that we, with all the church, with the bride and the spirit, will say, come. Now at last. So in closing, I want to read again afresh the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Ephesians. Listen to these words. You don't have to turn there. For we are members of his body, we are members of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This, says Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray briefly for us. <clears throat> Father, I just want to thank you that in, your, in our weakness, you have um, brought again a remembrance of that sure hope that you will surely fulfill, even as surely as you raised your son, our Lord, from the dead, so you will raise us up and that we in that day will be like him. And so, Lord, until that day, we do pray that you would continually and ever increase that desire in us through all of our work, that we, Lord, would in that day be ready and excited to see him who is flesh of our flesh and bone of our bones. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.